This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm an attorney at Shaw Bransford and Roth and I will be hosting today's show. Today, we are devoting our show to National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, which occurs at the end of this month. We'll be reflecting on the importance of whistleblowers, discussing gaps in whistleblower protection laws, and getting an inside look into the newly created House Office of the Whistleblower Ombuds. To begin our show, we are honored to have Senator Chuck Grassley discussing the importance of whistleblowers and whistleblower protection. Senator Grassley is a longstanding champion of whistleblower rights. He's a founding member and current chairman of the Senate Whistleblower Caucus. Throughout his tenure, Senator Grassley has co-authored critical legislation to empower federal employee whistleblowers such as the Whistleblower Protection Act, the initial and inaugural act protecting the federal workforce, which was unanimously passed into law in 1989, and the Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act, which also unanimously passed into law in 2012. Senator Grassley also authored the Congressional Accountability Act in 1995, which extends many of the same federal employee workplace protections to congressional staff. Since then, he has authored, sponsored, and promoted countless whistleblower initiatives and has become a well-known whistleblower advocate for the federal community. Welcome, Senator Grassley, and thank you for all you've done to shed light on the importance that whistleblowers play in the functioning of our government. I thank you for having me on your program. I understand this segment is part of your lead up to National Whistleblower Appreciation Day on July 30th. For those who aren't aware, that's the same day that we choose to celebrate whistleblowers each year. We do that because it was on July 30th, 1778, that the Continental Congress passed the first whistleblower law. And so every July 30th, we celebrate whistleblowers and the very important role that they play in keeping our government transparent and accountable to the American people. Of course, the task of supporting whistleblowers doesn't start and stop on July 30th. It's a year-round job. And here in Congress, it's something that we've been working at for decades. When I first uh, came to Washington, most whistleblower laws that we take for granted today didn't exist at all. 
I like to tell people anybody who dared to blow the whistle back then was about as welcome as a skunk at a picnic. People in government would often retaliate by trying to run the whistleblower off and making them out to be a real big problem, probably because they exposed something that was embarrassing to somebody higher up in the agency. I still hear about that kind of thing today in far too many cases, and we shouldn't be hearing about it at all. Whistleblowers are patriotic people. They ought to be respected. But today we have better whistleblower protections in place than we did years ago, so it's somewhat better. Whistleblowers also have important advocates in their corners, such as the Office of Special Counsel and the Inspectors General to support them. Another important resource for whistleblowers is the Merit System Protection Board, where whistleblowers can go if they face retaliation. I'm sure some of uh, in your audience have ongoing concerns related to the Merit System Protection Board, same concerns I have. Uh, the board has been without a quorum for more than two years, and it's developed a significant backlog of whistleblower cases. But for now, the Senate's hands are tied because it's up to the president to send nominations to the Senate and the Senate can't do anything until we have a nomination to consider. I'm not sure what's keeping President Biden from sending us nominations for this board. I certainly believe he should without delay. Of course, it's important for the president to nominate qualified board members who have sound reputations and will adjudicate cases fairly. Not all of the nominations the Senate has received from the past presidents have lived up to that standard. So depending on the nominee's qualifications, we'll respond accordingly. And we do need to receive nominations from the president in order to get things moving and get these cases settled, get rid of the backlog. And there's still work to do to make whistleblower protections yet even stronger and more robust. I'm working on several pieces of whistleblower legislation at the moment. One of my bills will strengthen incentives and protections for whistleblowers who report potential money laundering. I also have legislation to further strengthen the False Claims Act and Program Fraud Civil Remedies Act by giving agencies more resources to directly take on people who defraud the government. In addition, I'm working on legislation that will establish stronger whistleblower protections for FBI employees. Wherever there are still gaps in our existing laws, I'm working to fill those gaps. So, in closing, I need to thank you all again and again and again for this in invitation to speak because I like working with whistleblower protection people like you are. I'm glad to see that you're calling public attention to current whistleblower issues. As you know, these issues are not just important to members of Congress.
and a small network of interest groups in Washington, D.C. They're very important for the entire nation because whistleblowers play a critical role in our government to make government responsive. They call attention to problems of waste, fraud, abuse, and inefficiency. They help those of us in Congress to identify problems within the government so we can fix them through oversight and through legislation if legislation is necessary. And so whistleblowers help keep government more transparent and accountable to the people. And they help us find ways of saving taxpayers' dollars. So keep up the good work of calling attention to these issues. And I look forward to addressing many of you again in the coming weeks as we celebrate Whistleblower Day on July 30th as we do every year. Thank you very much for your hard work. Senator Grassley, thank you for starting our show today with an important reminder of the role and value whistleblowers bring to our government. I'm excited now to continue the discussion with our other guests when we return from our first commercial break. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. We are celebrating and honoring National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, which occurs at the end of this month on July 30th. We are going to continue our conversation with Tom Devine. He's the legal director of the Government Accountability Project. For our listening audience, you know that place is GAP. And we also have with us Liz Hempowitz, She's the Director of Public Policy for the Project on Government Oversight. And our listening audience, you know them as POGO. Later in our show, we will be joined by Shanna Devine. She is the inaugural director of the Office of the Whistleblower Ombuds. Good morning to my guests. Good morning, Deborah. So I want to welcome back Liz and Tom to um, an annual whistleblower show. We did not do a whistleblower show last year during the pandemic, but we were all together, if you recall, two years ago. Um, and at that point we were live in studio and it was um, really a very interesting and lively show. We're here two years later um, and there's been some things that have changed, some good things, some bad things. It's always good to regroup and get the message back out to the federal workforce about where things stand um, in whistleblower protections. So to begin this segment, I thought first, each one of you would get to talk a little bit about your organization. Tom, I've known you for forever. You've been at GAP for forever. We owe single-handedly to you most of all whistleblower protections that the federal workforce have today. It is a great honor to have you on today's show. So with that, Tom, I thought it would be helpful 
most people in the community, they know they've heard of GAP, they talk about GAP, but it'd be great to hear from you. What is GAP? What do you do? And how does the work of your office help promote whistleblower protections? Government Accountability Project is really a specialty organization. Um, our mission is to help whistleblowers. Um, and it's pretty much the boundaries. Um, um, people who use free speech rights to challenge abuses of power that betray the public trust. Our mission is to support them. Um, um, we've done it with about 8,000 whistleblowers since the 1970s. I've worked with about 7,000 of them formally or informally, and we help them through defending them against retaliation, anything from um, remedial investigations to trials and Supreme Court appeals. Um, we investigate their charges to help them make a difference, uh, which is the point of uh, exposing themselves and gets lost in the struggle for survival very easily. Um, we work tirelessly to strengthen the free speech laws. Um, so we've worked um, to lead lead for passage and defense of about three dozen uh, whistleblower laws from Washington, D.C. to the United Nations, most of the federal ones. Uh, and then we try to share our lessons learned. Uh, we uh, lead a law school clinic at D.C. School of Law and write books and team up with uh, Pogo and other groups for survival guides and um, um, just make sure that uh, whistleblowers don't repeat the painful uh, experiences that they don't have to. Uh, if they know how to navigate um, uh, one of the most treacherous decisions of their lives. Yeah, Liz, you're um, the Director of Public Policy at POGO, Project and Government Oversight. A similar type, um, your organization has a sort of similar type of mission, but there are differences. Inform our listeners of um, the mission and the work of POGO. Yeah, happy to. Um, and thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, POGO was founded uh, just over 40 years ago by whistleblowers at the Pentagon, uh, who were frustrated that their internal efforts to, to shine a light on wasteful spending to the tune of you know $7,000 coffee pots and $500 hammers, um, but also about ineffective weapon systems that were leaving service members at risk, those concerns, uh, they were falling on deaf ears. And so they worked with um, journalists to create the Project on Government Over to help get that information out to the public and also to policymakers and members of Congress that could do something about it. And so we still very much follow that model. You know, we expose waste, corruption, abuse of power. And when the government fails to serve the public or silences those who report wrongdoing, uh, and, and all of that work is made possible by whistleblowers, by brave truth tellers who are, who are willing to come forward um, and put themselves at great personal and professional risk to blow the whistle. Um, but then, but we, but our work doesn't stop there. And unlike GAP, we don't, re we don't represent whistleblowers. We work with them. Um, but what we do do is we, we then take our work, um, what they've helped, helped us expose, and we champion reforms to achieve a more effective, ethical, and accountable federal government. But part of that is also addressing the system uh, that whistleblowers have to work in. So we don't want to just take their work and uplift it and create change, although that's a huge part of our mission. But we also are working tirelessly with organizations like the Government Accountability Project to make it even safer or make it safe at all for whistleblowers to come forward and continue to do their very important work. Groups are just the tip of an iceberg of a very broad coalition supporting whistleblower rights. It's called the Make It Safe Coalition. 
um, in. Uh, a third group that's a leader of it was also founded by the same whistleblower who helped found Pago, Ernie Fitzgerald from the Pentagon. It's the National Taxpayers Union. Right. Uh, it's trans-ideological, nonpartisan, and um, where um, our 75 groups are all united by one commitment, um, um, freedom of speech so you can commit the truth and get away with it. Yeah. Well, get away with it. And by that, you mean like get away with it safely um, and, and avoid harm to your career and in today's environment to you personally or your family. Um, you know, Liz, I've heard you really passionately talk about, um, well, almost anything that you talk about um, in your work in Pogo. Um, I, I greatly admire the passion that you bring to your work, but I think that you really um, have a great voice in explaining to our listeners the importance of whistleblowing in um, the federal workforce and to the functioning of our government. Um, so I'd like to give you that opportunity to sort of in, enlighten in, in that um, very passionate way that you have, because um, it is national, you know, we are here to honor and recognize um, National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, which occurs at the end of the month. And so what are we really appreciating about the work of whistleblowing? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm really struck that we're, we're at a moment in time right now where there is, there's plenty of polling out there that tells us that the public doesn't trust and even fears the federal government. So whether or not you don't trust the government to responsibly spend tax dollars without waste or fraud, or you're afraid that the government can easily abuse its powers and authorities against the public that it is meant to serve, you should be fighting to protect whistleblowers because they are sometimes the only hope of exposing that type of wrongdoing. Um, but keep, you know, they, in many ways, you know, and I think we talk about this, we say this frequently, whistleblowers are the eyes and ears of the taxpayers. Their disclosures, when acted on, and I think that's a really critical part, right? They can't just be disclosing uh, wrongdoing. There has to be accountability and there has to be action taken on their disclosures. Um, but when acted on, you know, they save tax dollars, they result in a more effective federal government that is actually working in the public's interest rather than, you know, it, it is not kind of corrupted by personal personal desires or personal financial uh, financial gain. It really kind of whistleblowers are one of the main guardrails that keeps our democracy moving forward and keeps, you know, these these very powerful tools that the government has in check. Um, so at the but at the end of the day, you know, I think and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, you know, whistleblowers are so important, but we know uh, and I think Tom can probably say better than anybody that the system that whistleblowers have to go go through to avail themselves of the legal protections that Congress has wisely given them is so arduous. And so we're asking these people, not only arduous, but is long and expensive. Um, and so we ask whistleblowers- And confusing. Can and you confusing. confusing. You, know, you, should not, you shouldn't have to have an attorney that specializes in whistleblower disclosures, but I can't tell you how many times we have whistleblowers come to POGO and um, and they are now, you know, they've, they've worked with the wrong attorney or they've gotten back advice and now they're in a worse off place than they would have been had they you know had they been working with government accountability project but so you know what it comes down to for me is that we are asking whistleblowers to do an incredible service to the public but we are asking them to do that knowing that the system is not set up to protect them and I think that's why I'm so passionate right I feel like we owe these individuals we owe them so much more than we are giving them and the very the very least we could do is protect them for going through this legal process that we've created for them. Tom, any contributions? 
Can you can you match what Liz has to say from your perspective of the importance whistleblowing has brought um, to the federal the functioning of the federal government since the passage of a law that you personally worked to get passed and we owe it to you for in 1989? What's that like? Thirty? Are we thirty one years since passage? Yeah, and and unfortunately, I'm not so proud of the results, <laughs> and, but uh, absolutely, I can back Liz up and. This is, whistleblowers are part of a, a timeless phenomenon. Um, as long as we've had organized society, um, people who've had power have um, abused it. They haven't been able to resist the temptation to abuse power. I think it's in our genes or something. And sooner or later, they went too far. And, and the people who are victimized by it said enough is enough. Uh, and if they fought back with guns, they're revolutionaries. If they fight back with words, they're dissenters, dissidents. Um, now we call them whistleblowers. Um, but these are the people who change the course of history. And you know, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but they keep the power structure on, on its toes by putting them on the spot. And just people that, that I've worked with at Government Accountability Project, um, we um, stopped nuclear power plants that were accidents waiting to happen from being completed, uh, got dangerous drugs like Vioxx off the market after it had killed 50,000 people with unnecessary heart attacks, um, stopped the government from um, turning over meat and poultry inspection to um, the meat and poultry industry for government approved food, um, um, uh, exposed um, the surveillance um, of all Americans, um, Big Brother in, in the homes of every American family that led to the USA Freedom Act, uh, prevented um, a more ambitious rerun of 9-11 when the government was going to go AWOL in 2003, um, got um, mine-resistant vehicles delivered to Iraq that would actually protect our troops after 90% of our casualties were due to having vehicles that didn't protect our troops. Um, these are the people that we rely on um, to keep the power structure honest. Um, so um, they're, they're essential to any free country and for democracy. And, and if that didn't convince you enough, I mean, and it, and it should have, right? But like, also keep in mind that in, in the fiscal year 2020, whistleblowers uh, returned over $2.2 billion through their disclosures to the government through False Claims Act uh, lawsuits. Uh, it's, you know, so it's not just, obviously, I think people should really care about, you know, all of these issues. But if you're, if your only entry point right. in here is, is caring about, you know, good fiscal management of the country, whistleblowers should be your best friends. Yeah, you know, listening to um, to the both of you, you know, one of the things that I come back to um, that I'm going to briefly comment on before we take a break is, you know, when I first started um, many, many years ago practicing law here in the federal community, you know, I learned the expression, you know, the sunshine laws, right, Tom? You know, the laws that we refer to as FOIA and, and its progeny that shed light by the public, the citizens get to have light inside the functioning of the federal government. And we pass laws so that citizens can have access of a look inside. And I'm struck when I listen to the two of you that really the whistleblower protection laws are almost like a sunshine law. Um, you know, the, the health of the democracy depends upon its transparency to its citizens. Um, because they're just proxies. The bureaucracy is just a proxy for its citizens. And if you don't really know what they're doing, um, then you can't hold them accountable. It's a foundational principle to a functioning democracy. So I kind of now I'm thinking that I might in my, 
in my own outreach, refer to whistleblower protections as sunshine laws. Um, and, um, and I know that when we talk about state of the law, um, which is what we're gonna do in our next segment, um, that the two of you have a lot of thoughts on where the gaps are um, and where there's, you know, where, where we've succeeded and where we need to improve, but we do need to take our break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches, judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R, client-focused, results-driven. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. It is um, our podcast devoted to National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, which occurs at the end of the month on July 30th. With us today to talk about whistleblowers and the importance to the functioning of our government was first Senator Grassley, who gave our keynote address. And now we've been in conversation with Tom Devine, legal director of the Government Accountability Project and Liz Hempowitz, the Director of Public Policy for Project on Government Oversight. Welcome back, Liz and Tom. And we were um, in our first segment, shedding some um, light into both of your organizations from people who've been with these organizations for quite a while. It's very helpful, I think, to our listeners, um, along with um, some very passionate descriptions of the importance of whistleblowers and the functioning of government. Um, and the two of you have worked really tirelessly, you know, Tom, it's your, it's your life's work, um, promoting and protecting whistleblowers. So in this segment, I thought we could talk about, you know, where have we been in the laws protecting federal employee whistleblowers, right? Those, that's our listening audience. And the gaps in those laws and the work that both organizations are doing um, to close those gaps and bring more protections to the workforce. Well, this is a, a real crossroads time for freedom of speech and whistleblower rights. Um, I, I view it like as the best of times and the worst of times for whistleblowers. Um, it's the best of times because we're in the middle of a global legal revolution for freedom of speech. In 1978, the US was the first country to pass a whistleblower law. Second one was until 1998 in Great Britain. Now we've got 62 nations with whistleblower laws, national whistleblower laws. The European Union just passed sweeping free speech reforms in December, 2019. Um, uh, there's over 100 countries that have sectoral whistleblower laws. Um, and so that's really positive. And in the United States, what's positive is that 86% um, of voters in a Marist um, survey last, last fall um, uh, want stronger 
rights for government whistleblowers. We've won the cultural revolution in the United States. That's the good news. Um, the bad news is that while we were pioneer rights, our rights now are pretty much like dinosaur rights. Mm. They've fallen so far behind the rest of the world. And there's almost like a, a Grand Canyon gap between our beautiful rights on paper and our rights in reality. Uh, yeah. In fact, it's so bad um, that due to the political vulnerability of the only enforcement game in town, we haven't even had an administrative law final decision for four years. There's a 3,500 case backlog of people who can't even lose. Um, yeah, Tom, Tom's referring to the um, lack of quorum at the MSPB. The Merit Systems Protection Board is the administrative agency with a monopoly on your day in court. Uh, and they they haven't been able to issue a final ruling in over four years because of political deadlocks. And that starts the bad news. Um, we've got a, a partisan deadlock that's um, a kind of a hangover um, from the controversies during the last administration. And um, that's, that's threatened what's always been a unanimous bipartisan consensus uh, yeah. for whistleblower protection. And um, our laws are so dysfunctional um, that um, with the, uh, after the last election results, um, Pogo and Government Accountability Project and our other partners in the Make It Safe Coalition. We're working on 40 whistleblower bills in the United States right now. Uh, the foundation for all of them is restoring credible rights for federal employees. Um, um, unlike um, all the corporate workers practically um, in uh, most of the other countries, they don't have access to court to enforce their rights. They have to go to an administrative process that's controlled by politics. Well, right. whistleblowing is supposed to be beyond politics. It's a, like an oxymoron, the enforcement structure. Um, they don't have protection against retaliatory investigations, which is the a witch hunt is the beginning of almost all, re, all reprisals. Um, and they have to just wait it out uh, until the other shoe drops, um, which can be years of gathering dirt on them while they're defenseless. Um, they don't have um, uh, access to temporary relief. And these cases take over five years, sometimes over 10 years. And by the time you win, it doesn't matter. And you've lost your home, your, your career is totally destroyed, your family's probably falling apart, you've gone bankrupt. Oh yeah, you won, um, um, uh, but the system didn't give you functional rights. And unlike almost all the rest of the world, our whistleblower rights in the Whistleblower Protection Act are limited to workplace harassment. Most countries protect you against any retaliation that would create silence, violence, civil or criminal liability. Um, we've got a lot of catching up to do in this country. And, and one thing that really strikes me, everything that Tom is talking about, first of all, I absolutely agree. I would never disagree with Tom on a whistleblower protection issue. He knows it all backwards, forwards and inside out. But you know, everything that Tom is talking about are the challenges that, that whistleblowers run into after they've been retaliated against and are trying to enforce their legal protections. And so I just wanna say two things about that. One is we often talk about, we talk about whistleblower protection laws, but this is not affirmative protection. We haven't seen these, these 
these uh, prohibitions against retaliating against whistleblowers haven't stopped the retaliation. A couple of years ago, uh, Mark Meadows, who at the time was the chair, uh, co-chair of the House Whistleblower Protection Caucus, and then went on to become chief of staff for, for President Donald Trump, said that retaliation against whistleblowers is almost guaranteed. So we have members of Congress acknowledging that that is the case. And so one thing that I think is also really important to talk about is the need to extend to federal whistleblowers an affirmative right to protect their confidentiality. Because if you can protect your confidentiality, you stop retaliation before it begins. Um, but we saw, uh, you know, we saw as part of the politicization around whistleblowers when a whistleblower came out um, and, and kind of really kicked off an, the first impeachment proceeding against former President Trump. Um, a big part of that conversation was, was members of Congress, you know, allies of the president, the president himself, talking about unmasking who this whistleblower is because it is always, always, always easier to go after an individual than it is to have any kind of systemic change within these institutions, these government institutions we're talking about. That's what, you know, when we talk about a David and Goliath situation, that is what whistleblowers are in. And so if you can, if you can protect your anonymity, um, you can cut off that retaliation before it begins. And then you don't have to go through a 10 year legal process at which you didn't even, at the end of which you didn't even really win anything. You've just kind of been put back to where you were before, maybe, if you're lucky. Yeah, There is a very serious effort to act on Liz's concerns about confidentiality. Um, there's bipartisan legislation introduced by uh, Representatives Maloney and Mace um, that would address all the complaints that I was griping about and also add teeth for confidentiality. Um, that it would protect, the, the law would protect not just your identity, but all identifying information. It would require your written consent before any identifying information is released. Um, it would um, only allow releases when it was non-discretionary, such as ordered by a court or required by law, rather than whenever the agency wants to um, release your identity. Um, uh, uh, it, it would be, be very effective confidentiality protections. It's called the Whistleblower Protection Improvement Act. 275 organizations from every political stripe are backing this reform, um, but um, we need to really keep the heat on. Um, and if we adopt it, uh, it's going to give um, genuine free speech rights for whistleblowers instead of false advertising paper free speech rights for whistleblowers. <laughs> And, and Tom, that was one of the two observations that I had with regard to um, what Liz was saying. One is, you know, having worked in the space, practiced law in the space for 30 years, even today, 30 years later, where, um, you know, news and inform, you know, information is instantly, constantly available in front of you, most federal employees think that if they quote unquote blow the whistle, that they remain anonymous. And they just, there's a cultural belief that they're gonna be anonymous and they're genuinely surprised that when they make a hotline complaint to the IG, that somehow everyone in the office has figured out that they're the whistleblower. Like this is just rudimentary, you know, daily average, not high stakes political whistleblowing, but just your average, daily whistleblowing, they have this belief that the law protects them. And yet the original statute, you know, kind of barely doesn't. 
Um, and, and, that, and that institutional cross-agency cultural belief that they have anonymity and then they're smacked up against not having anonymity, Liz, is what you're talking about. It's like, like they, then they spend years dealing with their false belief that they could remain anonymous. So that's one observation that I kind of want to say, talk, ask Liz a question about in a moment. And the other is, I don't know how long we've been talking about educating the workforce that it's illegal to retaliate. We don't, it's not working. Like, like, I don't think that, that this very legalistic compliance training has made a, a, a dent enough in the culture of, I'm mad at you for exposing this mistake of in our office. And so we're sidelining you because we can't trust you. Or we don't like you or you're not part of our team. And I think what gets lost, so my personal professional goal going forward when I work on whistleblower um, um, issues is to somehow figure out how to change that culture. Training on the law has not seemed to work. Yeah. And how do you train the workforce to be more open to letting the outside look in and not feeling like when a mistake is aired that they're so personally vulnerable, they have to hide all these mistakes and inefficiencies. And that to me seems of all of the work that your organizations are doing, it's like, there's, this, there's these two cultural things inside the workforce. There's a belief that they, when they blow the whistle, especially to the IG, anonymous, not so, doesn't work that way. And all this legal training that, that management gets about retaliation does not translate into day-to-day -day culture of the workplace that it's okay for the public and for Congress to find out that maybe we didn't get our jobs done correctly, efficiently. It's okay. We don't have to crush the person who outed us. Yeah. You know, I think it really comes down to, you're, you're absolutely right. It, the training is not, has not worked, is not working. I think it comes down to two things. One is there has to be large scale leadership in this space, right? This is top down. This is, you know, I manage a team at Pogo and I'm constantly saying to my team, I want to hear from you good and bad. You know, that is the kind, that is what we need. We need more of in the federal government. We need people who are willing to be, you know, confronted with their mistakes and not try to push it under the rug. But I think, you know, all the training in the world and all the, you know, leadership in the world, there are sometimes it is just going to, we are going to have to have actual accountability when people are retaliating against whistleblowers. There needs to be enforcement of, you know, punishing supervisors instead of promoting them after they've retaliated against whistleblowers to get them out of an office. You know, we really need to have this management shift in the federal government, I think, where we where we are more in where we're more inclined to hold people accountable when they make mistakes. Um, but but yeah, no, I mean, I think it you're right. It's not working. We are seeing, CAO just said that if you blow the whistle, you are more likely to be, you are much more likely to be fired. 
being fired for blowing the whistle is explicitly illegal. So there is a gap here where there's a gap here that we really need to bridge. And I think it's going to take a couple different, a couple different things to kind of fill, fill that in. I think that it's, it's important to put the nature of this challenge in perspective. Um, um, the whistleblowing, the reprisals against whistleblowers to me seem like uh, it's almost like the institutional equivalent of an animal instinct. Um, uh, when an animal is attacked, it wants to destroy the threat. Uh, and it's not a matter of right or wrong or thinking it through. Um, I, you know, I'm the same way. If somebody hits me, I want to slug them. Um, and I you know, think, no, why did, maybe I deserved that and what led up to this. You know, I want to flatten that person. Um, one reason is because I'm upset. They, they hurt me. Um, and the second reason, I don't want to give them a chance to do it again. <laughs> uh, and organizations behave the same way towards whistleblowers. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's they're threatening us. That person's threatening us. And I think um, training in the sense of education for organizational leaders about their self-interest uh, is the, um, one of the most effective uh, ways to uh, prevent retaliation. Um, you know, Senator Grassley said whistleblowers are like the canary in the coal mine. Um, you know, I, I think whistleblowers are like the bitter pill that keeps your organization out of the institutional hospital. Um, and um, uh, they're the early warning system so that people, so that Liz can effectively lead her team and nip problems in the bud. And there's very impressive research um, on how whistleblowers who generally don't go public, um, over 90%, 90 to 98%, depending on their survey, rest restrict their communications about problems to inside the organization because they're trying to defend it. Uh, and they're effective and successful when the organization is open to it. Um, the, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers did in the International Association of Fraud Auditors, both did surveys that in terms of or misconduct against the organization, whistleblowers were responsible for exposing and catching more of it um, than audit departments, compliance departments, and law enforcement combined. Um, um, uh, Kyle Watch, a professor at George Washington University, has done excellent studies that um, institutions, uh, companies that have solid whistleblower uh, internal uh, whistleblower programs, uh, that they have um, fewer lawsuits against them, fewer regulatory actions against them with lower penalties and much more modest settlements in the litigation that they are engaged in. Um, this is for the benefit of the organizations if they just overcome this kind of primitive instinct. Um, yeah, and and that's sort of where I get to 30 years into my practice that, um, that the laws are clearly necessary, but at some point we have to acknowledge they're not working to protect whistleblowers and create environments inside the workforce where people want to, to surface mistakes and inefficiencies. Um, and um, so to me, it's this intersection of law and culture and um, and I welcome, as always, the opportunity to talk with um, you, Liz, from Pogo, and Tom, you at GAP, on the work that, that you do and that we all care about in making the working of government much more efficient for the taxpayer. Um, there's so much more we could talk about on, on the, um, the bills that are pending to strengthen these rights. I encourage our listeners to go to Pogo's website, go to GAP's website, 
they've got all that information there for you to read. Um, we are going to take the final commercial break of our show. And when we come back, we will speak with Shanna Devine. She is the director of the Office of the Whistleblower Ombuds. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. If you just tuned in, this is our show to recognize National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, which is July 30th of um, coming soon. Um, our keynote address was Senator Grassley. At the beginning of the show, we also spoke with some of our colleagues from Pogo and Gap. But now we're going to devote the last segment of our show to speaking with Shanna Devine. She is the director of the Office of the Whistleblower Ombuds in the U.S. House of Representatives, and she is the inaugural director for this new office, and I believe this is her inaugural debut on Fed Talk. Welcome to Fed Talk, Shanna. Thank you for having me, Deborah. I've known Shanna for a number of years, um, and she also has devoted much of her professional career to the interests of whistleblowers. I couldn't think of really anyone better, Shanna, to lead this new office inside of the house. It must have been a great honor for you to be the inaugural director. And I thought that we could begin our segment with you explaining to our listeners, what is this office that you run and how did it come to be? Absolutely. Well, I can start with how it came to be. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and just introduce the office a bit further. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of already heard from your speakers today that the public and Congress rely on whistleblowers to learn about you know, misconduct that we may not know of otherwise. Um, but throughout history, there's been a very kind of ad hoc approach within Congress to its practices for working effectively with whistleblowers. Um, whether it's a constituent who's contacting their member for support and guidance when they're engaging in whistleblowing or a potential source who wants to get that evidence to the right office and the right committee, you know, they're relying on Congress as an institution to effectively and safely handle their disclosures. And, you know, thanks to the leadership of individuals such as Senator Grassley, um, Representative Speer, and the, the speakers on today's show through Pogo and Gap, you know, we've been able to start to piece together what these best practices are. And, and that kind of knowledge has been shared throughout Congress, but it hasn't been streamlined or institutionalized. A lot of offices have to learn as they go. And it's a very complicated dance, as we've, as we've heard throughout today's program, not only in terms of engaging in whistleblowing, but also in terms of, for congressional offices, effectively working with whistleblowers. So that's where our office comes into play. Uh, we were established in the 116th Congress with bipartisan support from 
the Whistleblower Protection Caucus, um, as well as the Committee on House Administration and other key oversight committees. And we were included in the rules package in this capacity to operate as an independent and nonpartisan support office. We're a support office specifically for the House. So what we do is advise House member offices, committees, and their staff on best practices for working with whistleblowers from both the public as well as the private sectors. So it may be, you know, individuals that they hear from within the executive branch um, or somebody within the industry that's, mm -hmm. you know, common in their, in their district. And you're, you um, came into being um, in 2020 or 2019? We were established in the, the rules package in 2019, but we didn't actually come into existence. Our office wasn't stood up um, and it wasn't made public until February of 2020. And that's when I was brought in as, as the director to help establish it. And it's been an absolute privilege since that time. And, you know, I'm glad to share that at the beginning of this Congress, we were made permanent. And we were, through the rules package, we were added to the House standing rules as, um, as a permanent office. So we don't need to be reauthorized in the way, you know, we originally did when we were first established. So, Shanna, you know, every time a year or so ago when, um, you know, I was hearing about this new office, in my brain, I always confused it as a place where whistleblowers could go, kind of like, you know, the, in the executive branch, they go to the IG because they think they can, through a hotline complaint, do make a whistle, you know, make file a whistleblower complaint. But that is not your office. Thank, thank you for identifying that common misconception, Deborah. Right. Um, and I think it, you know, in part, I think that misnomer is, is due to our name. We're named the Office of the Whistleblower Ombuds. Um, but as you identified, we do have a statutory limitation in that we're not authorized to receive whistleblower disclosures. Um, we're not an intake office for whistleblowers, either within the legislative branch or outside of Congress to make disclosures, and we cannot investigate their concerns. You know, that said, as a rule of thumb, we want to make sure that anybody who contacts our office is better off for having reached out, um, even if it's a whistleblower seeking support. So we've really worked to develop, kind of expand our educational resources and publicly available guidance through our website to help better orient whistleblowers um, who, who contact us. So, you know, as I can share further, that includes resources such as a menu of governmental and non-governmental referral options, as well as best practices for these individuals to consider when they're contacting Congress, and key survival tips that have been developed through largely the experts on your program today for them to keep in mind when they're going through what's probably going to be the most difficult decision of their life, which often they don't feel it is a decision because they think they're just doing their job. Right. No, yeah, it's a it's a it's a professional juncture, you know, it's a juncture in the road professionally for anyone who's been a whistleblower. So in your inaugural year, Shanna, which happened to coincide with the pandemic, um, you stood up this office. And for the listeners, if, if they go onto your website, 
um, the House Whistleblower on Buds website. Um, it's impressive. What was the work of the year? What, what did you do to stand up this office to help accomplish the mission? Thanks for that question. And, you know, I'll just use it as an opportunity to kind of share up front that while I started the year um, somewhat, you know, on my own, I wasn't fully staffed until the fall of last year. I really benefited from working closely with both key internal stakeholders, those within the House, kind of relevant committees of jurisdiction and oversight. Um, um, experts to external stakeholders, including um, the, the, the guests on your show today, to be keeping a line of communication and kind of incorporating their feedback on, you know, from their perspective, what would be most helpful for our office to be focusing on. And, and I've just really benefited from that. Um, and, you know, I'll also just share up front that now we are fully staffed and we're an office of four at this point. Uh, I have two deputy directors, them and, and me included, you know, together have about 25 years of experience working with both Congress and whistleblowers in a bipartisan capacity. Um, but we also have recently had a fellow join our office, which we're, we're very excited about through the Wounded Warrior Project, who has expertise in education. He's been a great addition. So, you know, in year one, my primary focus and ours as an office was on really visibility. Um, we we're a brand new office. We were getting started at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, concrete kind of targeted outreach um, through a multi-targeted outreach campaign was critical. Um, and, and I can share some background on what that entailed, but that was largely the focus. And this, by outreach, Shanna, you're talking about outreach. Your office is really an office to educate um, House members and staffers on um, best practices for dealing with whistleblowers. So by outreach, you mean to House staff, to House members, to committees. That's exactly it, Deborah. That was our focus. I mean, we're working to, I mean, through our mission of providing education, training, and kind of you know, confidential guidance for individual offices, we're working to institutionalize throughout the House effective, safe, and consistent practices for working with whistleblowers. So that means before we can offer our services, we need to let, you know, house offices and staff know that we exist. So we've conducted a lot of targeted outreach in year one through administrative e-dear colleagues, you know, the house communication system, um, through, kind of, you know, meeting with committees and their leadership, both within Democrat and Republican leadership, um, to really maintain that nonpartisan identity that, that we're committed to. Um, but also, you know, to some extent, external outreach through kind of the, the stakeholders I was mentioning. So it includes groups like, you know, GAP, POGO, National Taxpayers Union, some of the ones that have been discussed today, but also um, key executive branch, you know, offices, whistleblower offices like the Office of Special Counsel or the OIG community and their whistleblower protection coordinators, who also play a key role in, you know, and working with Congress on whistleblower cases. And, you know, in some ways we wanted to do what we could and we can as an office to help to facilitate and bridge those communications 
um, by making ourselves known both within and outside of the house. But as you identified, our role is to directly serve the house and facilitating their ability to work with whistleblowers. Great. And, and for our listeners, if they go on your website, they will see a lot of the work product you've actually produced in the first year besides outreach. Um, I was very impressed. You have a, an intake form for the house staff staffers to use if they get a whistleblower. I like the idea of consistency. I think consistency builds bipartisanship. Um, and um, which is, I think we all agree is very critical to making it a safe place for people to blow the whistle. Um, and there's other, you have other best practice guides out there on the website. I also think for the person, Shanna, who might want to blow the whistle to a member of Congress, looking at your materials on how you're educating members and staff, I think could be very helpful, could be insightful to the actual whistleblower. We hope so too. And, you know, one of our other objectives and kind of primary goals for this year, 2021, is to provide transparency around our operations and also in making our educational materials publicly accessible, um, you know, where appropriate. So, So maybe that's a good opportunity to highlight what some of those additional materials are and how they can be found on our website. We we recently restructured our website so that it can be kind of more user-friendly for our congressional audience to identify some of those templates and guides that you mentioned. Um, But we also, so we have a congressional audience tab that breaks down what our different services are. And let me just take a moment to identify those services. We've kind of broken them in. Oh, please, Deborah. Well, well, I'm going to direct our listeners um, to your website um, because um, it does, it, it breaks it down very well, but we've sort of come to the end of the show. And what I realize is, which we knew in planning our show, that we would need to devote more time eventually to your program. Um, but we did want to highlight to our listeners that the House has stood up this program, very important program to the federal workforce. Give them a look into it direct them to your website and hope that in the future, Shanna, you will come on um, and be able to talk more about the work um, of this very new and important office. Um, I wanna thank all of our guests today for being on our show and for all of you in the federal community who stick your necks out and risk your jobs when you shed light on um, what would be mistakes or inefficiencies in the functioning of government. Thank you all, and um, we look forward to celebrating National Whistleblower Appreciation Day next year. Thank you.